I thought Cardano, given its background, would kind of foment a kind of unique NFT culture. Because if you look at everything that Cardano is about, it's not like most other chains, right? It's like deep thinking, first principles, um, doing like meaningful things, not just being like degen stuff. So I was like utterly shocked, surprised, and disappointed in the kind of PFP, FOMO, degen nonsense that has taken over the NFT scene on Cardano. And I primarily blame Patrick for it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not blaming, but uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a testament to what he's done is that like it's enabled because of it's so easy, like people to copy pasta, these like just insanely dumb things. Welcome to Empower, the first real fire property platform on Cardano that combines emerging technology, sustainable building, and decentralized financial inclusion. My name is Blaine and I'm the sustainability architect here at Empower. And on this podcast, we'll be sharing conversations based around Empower's three key principles of building, community, and impact. If you want to join our journey and help us build a better future with Empower, then make sure to subscribe and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the Empower Podcast. My name is Blaine, and today we're joined by Patrick, founder of NMaker, previously yes. NFT Maker, Alexander, artist and founder of Unsigned Algorithms, or Unsix for short. And we've also got Phil here, founder of uh, or co-founder of Empower, and obviously me as well. Um, thanks everyone for joining. Thanks for Thank having, you. having us. No worries. So today's podcast is going to be all about NFTs. Um, one thing I would like to explore is what NFT, the future of NFTs, what the potential of NFTs could be. Um, there's a lot of progress and development in the space, say, the past year or so. Um, but you know, obviously, we're just brushing the surface of what the, the use cases of NFTs could be. So I'd love to talk about that. But before we dive into that, maybe do a quick intro for those that don't know you, Patrick and, and Alex, um, just a bit about who you are, what you do. Maybe we could start with you, Patrick, and then Alexander, if you follow, and then we can go from there. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Patrick. I uh, used to be a computer scientist. Uh, that's what I studied. I've been in the crypto space for quite a while, uh, since 2017, and then you know, I got more and more interested. I wrote my bachelor thesis about it, and then I founded NFT Maker. Um, now it's called NMaker, but uh, back in the day it was called NFT Maker, and it was one of the first NFT minting platforms. And now, um, now it's essentially a, a tool and an API to build blockchain products. So we're kind of trying to build the infrastructure for other people who want to build their own blockchain products. Yeah, and that's what I do, um, and that's pretty much it. Lovely, lovely. Alex, you? Uh, thanks. Um, I am Alexander. Uh, I'm a functional programming lover, um, <laughs> which I got into because uh, if you know a little bit about UTXOs and blockchains, functional programming just makes sense. Um, I've been in Bitcoin since around 2013 or so um, when I was mining Litecoin to sell into Bitcoin. I left crypto from like 2015 to 2019. Uh, while I was working in my career, being a serious adult uh, with a real job, which was probably the worst financial decision of my life. <laughs> and, uh, but, but came back around uh, because of COVID and uh, with the help of Patrick, uh, released uh, NFT collection 
uh, which was an attempt to answer why would anyone buy a link to a JPEG? Um, and I'm very interested in this question of um, not just, even though I specifically was interested in like art as NFT, um, also imbuing other kind of use cases into NFTs like insurance or other things. And right now I'm working on two things. Uh, one is a NFT shorting platform, which will be released hopefully within a month or so. And uh, the smart contracts are done and we're just working on a front end for that now. And the other is like uh, making an on-chain art institution, which is meant to be something like the Guggenheim or like a, a museum of the, of the Guggenheim, the Guggenheim, uh, Guggenheim. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's a, that's a bad one. Please but, uh, call it Guggenheim. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Apologies. Uh, but, but yeah. Um, so, so I'm, I am interested in, in NFTs quite a bit, uh, kind of fell into it from my background in design and architecture, which I happened to share with Blaine and, and have mm. talked previously about. So sorry for the long intro. Thank you. That's mm. no, a great intro. Um, I love the functional programming lover. That's a, it's a, a great, uh, I could see that on your, obviously you don't have a Tinder profile, but. Um, uh, it's, it's there. Functional, it's pro functional programming lover. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I open my Tinder uh, profile. Yeah. Zero yeah. matches. Yeah. <laughs> I got one. I got my my match, so I don't need any more, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so you guys have been in the space kind of pretty much early on since the beginning. What got you into the space? Was were you in Cardano first, and you're like, oh, NFTs? Let's kind of just go in there. Or was there like something special, like particular about NFTs that you were, you know, like interested in? I feel like we both have the the same answer to this. Um, like at the beginning, we were, we weren't caring about NFTs at all. Like I, I didn't give a shit. And uh, I think Alex is the same. He's also nodding. So yeah. And um, essentially, you know, I got into Cardano specifically just by going through Coin Market Cap back in 2017 when I thought, okay, I have two hundred dollars. Let's become a millionaire now. Um, <laughs> and and then I invested into into all the shit coins and into Ripple and then also ADA at some point at like over a dollar. So I lost all my money um, <laughs> and all my $200. And mm -hmm. then I, um, and then I kind of followed it and, and got more interested in the technology of crypto in general. And, and I kind of got drawn towards Cardano in, in, in general, because it was very interesting was what, what was happening there. And I followed um, Charles a lot and watched all his AMAs back in the day. And then, um, you know, I started my own stake pool and Alex started his own stake pool. And that's, that's how we first met because we both realized, okay, to attract delegators, we kind of have to do something. So we both started uh, making YouTube videos, which was the peak of our life. Um, you're, you're looking shamefully, but I think it was the peak of our life. Um, and <laughs> we'll have to bring them up on the, on yeah. this space. Yes, they're, they're, links, they're all links in, in the description. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we, we kind of got to talk there because I was his only, only viewer. He was my only viewer. And then, um, and then we, you had more, more viewers than me. I, I, you were my only viewer, <laughs> but you had a viewer. Yeah. So it was quite interesting. And then we kind of got into NFTs after Alessandro launched his own NFT collection, um, uh, the space buds, of course. And then, you know, then we figured out, okay, what can you actually do with this? What can you do with native tokens? What can you do with NFTs? And then that's that's how we got into it, or I got into it. Mm. So when you guys entered the space, 
Did you have any expectations of maybe you know what the space could look like, say, a year, two years from now? Uh, and if you did have expectations, how do they map to the current situation? Do they exceed expectations? Are you a little bit disappointed in some areas? Um, totally disappointed. Um, how so? I I thought Cardano, given its background, would kind of foment a kind of unique NFT culture. Because if you look at everything that Cardano is about, it's not like most other chains, right? It's like deep thinking, first principles, um, doing like meaningful things, not just being like degen stuff. So I was like utterly shocked, surprised, and disappointed in the kind of PFP, FOMO, degen nonsense that has taken over the NFT scene on Cardano. And I primarily blame Patrick for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's not blaming, but uh, I mean, it, it's it's a testament to what he's done is that like it's enabled because of it's so easy, like people to copy pasta, these like just insanely dumb things. Yeah, it's true. If you if you reduce the barrier of entry, um, you open up the floodgates to, to all the projects. Um, I'm not really disappointed by the nft scene it was kind of or it's kind of as i expected to be honest but i'm maybe a little bit more disappointed by the development of cardano in general i mean we all knew it's slow but uh, i particularly my my favorite part about cardano is the whole africa topic the whole catalyst topic um you know all the voting all the governance all this kind of stuff and that's where i see the least amount of progress at the moment even though I'm still very excited and I think Cardano is doing things which no other chain at the moment is doing, I also think, okay, you know, we don't have enough projects like Empower. We don't have enough uh, progress in the catalyst area and so on. And that's kind of kind of where we have to, to head towards. But also to, um, yeah, to go, go back shortly to, to what Alex was saying about, uh, you know, the, the quality of the NFT landscape. I think it's very interesting because you by creating the tools you basically allow everyone to come in and it becomes very easy to come in right and now you know we have a ton of ape projects we have uh, a lot of ape projects that were minted through endmaker but yeah it's 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 interesting to see like what has formed and then when you take a look at the other chains they're all very similar like if you go to solana it's it's the exact same thing um mm. and also if you think about the tools that we have here the tools that solana has they are basically the same. Like Magic Eden is JPEG store just on Solana. Um, Metaplex on Solana is NFT maker or NMaker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of that's kind of what you need to get a lot of users. But then on the other side, when you go to Tezos, for example, Tezos is like one of the best chains out there, in my, in my opinion, at least from what the community has done with it. I'm not talking about the fundamentals. But um, there, the art is very different because the main platforms for creating NFTs and the main platforms for creating art and, and publishing it are very much focused not on collectibles, but rather actual art. And a lot of them are focused on um, procedural procedural stuff, mm. which I think is very interesting. Yeah. What, uh, what about I, you, I'm Phil? Just, just, uh, well, I was just interested in Alex's comment as well. I just wanted to, um, I guess, pick up on that again. Uh, just around the disappointment, and uh, while while there's a degree of disappointment, um, was it at least expected? Still, did no, you, did I, you mean, still ex I didn't expect. You thought it. the Cardano I, would be different. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and so, I, I, I was honestly hopeful because I don't think in anywhere else has Cardano had this kind of like reversion to the crypto mean, right? Like it's just very out of character and off brand for what Cardano is. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm similarly disappointed, but not, I, I didn't, uh, I, I did expect it to an extent. Um, and I think, um, you, you kind of joke about um, Patrick's contribution to that, but I think um, <laughs> that that ability to um, do uh, create NFT uh, releases so easily and so cheaply, and then that's obviously a big differentiator when we're talking about Ethereum, is is the cost factor, and it allows people to um, essentially speculate with NFTs like fungible tokens. Just um, you know, uh, anybody can just give it a go and it's not really costing them much. So the, the, the primary thing I think that happened on Cardano is NFTs came out before smart contracts. And so mm. NFTs were the only speculative, mm. speculative play on Cardano. You, there were no like DeFi tokens or DEXs or any of these things. And so like, it's really ass backwards because, you know, on, on other chains, like you have these DEX tokens and whatever that people like one, you had a bunch of people who got rich on the native asset of the, the chain. Two, you had a bunch of people who like double leveraged those gains into DEXs, right? Or other DAP tokens. And then these NFTs came along on their chains and they became like, like a triple leverage kind of play of like gains on gains on gains. And there was a lot more conspicuous consumption of like, I'm just going to drop, you know, obscene amounts of wealth onto these ape pictures because I'm already wealthy, right? And I'm looking for a flex. It's just like a Lamborghini, but I can actually show it to my crypto bros. And so, I, I, you know. yeah, I think the the approach of building Cardano, which I, I think you're right. I mean, obviously, a lot of people do. Uh, appreciate and are accepting of the the pace of which Cardano has been built, but to an extent, I think it did contribute to the Cardano NFT scene because I think people were hungry for projects, you know. Mm. And so, as soon as that possibility was there, the floodgates opened, and it didn't really matter what it was. I just want to participate in some projects being built on Cardano. Mm. So I I I am maybe a little bit more forgiving of people. Mm doing that possibly than you Alex but um I am equally as disappointed I think is is what I'm trying to say I'm, I'm yeah. curious if you've looked at Alessandro's stuff um because I think for what you guys are trying to do with NFTs the, the big I think flaw in Cardano NFTs today is that this metadata is totally uninteractable or unaccessible from the smart contracts and so you know putting NFT metadata inside of a datum so that perhaps you can claim yields or revenue streams from the Empower stuff. Um, you know, is that the, I, his recent proposal? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, that's the one I sent out. to you. Phil. Uh, it's above my head, but you'd be able to understand but, it. But, but basically, you would be able to use an NFT, and it would allow you to have some rights or access to, you know, smart contract functionality. So I can imagine that if you guys are having mortgages repaid. Um, through Empower kind of thing, you know, your NFT would actually be your ticket to claim the same way we do on MinSwap um, with like your mint vesting tokens. Like you're able to access um, certain kind of, you know, revenue stream or whatever through that. So if you haven't checked it out, I would recommend it, but it's exciting. Yeah. These, these kind of things will allow much more varieties of things to happen. 
Yeah, I, look, I agree. I think um, the 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 I guess the the capabilities that we can introduce with NFTs are, are quite early, uh, and I think a lot of what is being done with NFTs is all predominantly off-chain. So I think you know the the integration of of smart contracts with NFTs is going to be, I think, the next real leap for Cardano. And I think hopefully you will get what you were hoping to get in the first place, Alex, and <laughs> we'll start to see some uh, some real innovation in the space. So maybe one thing on just the creating these these standards and like this is I don't have the tech know-how, but I understand that having these kind of standards in place is kind of important if you've got to build all these complex things on top of it. What is the current process of, I know you said Alessandro submitted that thing. How, what does that, how does that process actually work? Um, like how does that get voted on? Um, how, how do we collectively vote on what's a good one? What's a bad one? Once we agree actually, on one, think, can, yeah. yeah. If Patrick, feel free, but like, I actually don't think stuff like what Alessandro did has to be voted on at all. Like, I'm, I don't even think that metadata standard, the 7211, like that doesn't have to be a part of Cardano. Um, it's just, it is convenient that people look that there is a standard and like, oh, if we implement this, it makes it less work for people like Smog, Pool PM to make viewers of things. But there's no, nothing inherently necessary about like, a standard. It's like if you ever, uh, Patrick's a German, uh, this ISO kind of standards or, yeah, ma'am. you know, things like these things can exist in parallel or outside of the chain that they're on. And it's just a kind of set of best practices. So, but there's nothing really happening to the Cardano ledger that necessitates them being included. To answer your question, there are these things called CIPs, Cardano Improvement Protocols, and they can be voted on. Um, some things have to be included like the reference scripts or these other things that change how the ledger operates. But most of this stuff actually is just kind of outside the domain of Cardano. And it's just, it's just metadata that is a standard. In, in the end, the, like there, there is of course some sort of voting, but it's voting by, by using your ADA, right? Mm -hmm. uh, voting by using your money. And um, essentially, you know, Alessandro, when he launched the space buds, he just launched them with his standard and he didn't care if IOG likes that standard or someone likes that standard, he just put it out there. And then the community said, okay, oh, look, these are NFTs. There's a standard. Um, let's buy some of those. And then other NFT projects were basically forced to use the standard because it was already established in the scene. And that's why we have the standard now. And that's how standards normally evolve, right? That's not, not something Cardano exclusive. And now, you know, now the, the game has changed a little bit, bit because we have a few big players in the scene. Um, so essentially, if you have a new NFT metadata standard and, for example, JPEG Store isn't supporting that metadata standard, you're going to have a very hard time to, to do anything. And then you either have the option to push your way through and, and build your own stuff and then maybe build a marketplace specific for that standard or something that is including that. But then in the end, it becomes a okay where a question of where is the community going? What kind of projects do they want? And then in the end, um, the community just votes by participating with certain projects. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a numbers yeah. game. You know, as yeah. uh, Patrick said, it's like um, any standard. I mean, um, in the early web days, you know, we, we had 
um, competing versions of HTML and JavaScript. And Microsoft was usually the ones that kind of tried to push a different approach and kind of in mm -hmm. the end got dragged kicking and screaming into the rest of the community because, again, it was just a pure numbers game. Um, so one of, one of the things that um, I guess I'm interested in from a standards perspective um, is at the moment we're looking inward into Cardano and whether we should actually be looking outward to other chains and, and, and what I guess groups are doing from a, I guess, an interchain um, uh, standard. Uh, and I know that there are some big players kind of um, starting to look at, can we introduce some kind of standard that would be provide interoperability across chains? So I think if we are looking to evolve our Cardano standard, then maybe there's an opportunity to look at maybe at least incorporating some of those so that we can be a bit for more future thinking. Future proofing. So, so the, the, there is this kind of like a competition of ideas. People kind of submit these ideas and the market will naturally converge on the ideas that make sense to them. But an interesting point that you raised, Patrick, was if there are big players in the game that could potentially um, influence the ideas that we like uh, converge on. Like let's say JPEG store, there's a really good idea submitted, but for whatever reason, they don't like it. Um, that can kind of, um, you know, that idea that maybe a lot of people like. Smart contract based listings were an example of this, right? Like yeah. there were, there was ways of doing smart contracts to do listings, but they use that kind of escrow system for a long time, just to give a tangible example. Yeah. The royalties, um, yeah. yeah. But would that then mean that the larger that we grow, the the harder it is to then incorporate these these standards because, yeah, because there, there are, the longer that we're in it, the, the, the more big players there are, the bigger those big players become, the harder it is to kind of introduce a new idea. I, I don't think interest, it's about, yeah, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, no, I'm done. Okay, I, I don't think even it's about uh, just having the the big players, but the larger we grow, the more different players are there, and and none of them like a standard one hundred percent. You know, the royalty standard is like the best example of that because everyone has their own opinion, and I think uh, JPEG store at the moment, if you mint an NFT through them, they they are not following the royalty standard at all. They have their own database, and then you know everyone is kind of having their own system to handle royalties and that's exactly what we shouldn't be doing because now everything is fractionalized and the same thing happened on ethereum on ethereum the the metadata standard is very different on OpenSea than on many other platforms which is terrible in my opinion because that's exactly what you shouldn't be doing in, in crypto so i i'm extremely happy that we have the seven to one standard established and most projects are following that because it means that at least there we have like the baseline and then we can build upon from there. And now with Alessandro's new standard, I, I see the necessity for it and I see the <clears throat> advantages for it. But I also see that there might be troubles if we now introduce a new standard and some people are following it, some people are not following it, and then it fractionalizes and then maybe other people introduce other standards. And then the, the issue becomes the more players are in the game, the more standards we have at the, at the end. Maybe, um, you know, I think Project Noom is building a, a music standard specifically for music files and so on. So then, which is good because it makes sense for some of these applications, but it also leads to a lot more complication. And that's kind of what I'm, I think we need to be extremely careful with, like that we don't go too fast 
in the real world, especially in Germany, we have a ton of that standards, right? With the ISO stuff. And it's very hard to follow. And the EU is terrible. And we have like standards, how curved a banana can be and stuff like that. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. (laughs) So so do we need um, some kind of standards body where we can bring people together? Um, and and talk about it together and and move forward together. And I, I think know that's, uh, be- Ada. I mean, as Patrick was saying, like that that I I'm very. It's there's an XKCD comic on this, right? Like the solution. <laughs> it's a comical. The solution to like too many standards is make a new standard, and then you have n plus one standards, um, and they're all competing with each other again. Um, it just it's 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 a known problem. It happens in any space, and I think in the end, time and the market. Uh, for some kind of utility or fitness function to be applied that like if Noom wants to deviate from a standard and it doesn't produce any actual benefit, that standard will die um, because people won't adopt it. And so it's, yeah. if something, if some differentiated utility is provided by a new standard, it has a chance of surviving. If it's just like we want to be left-handed instead of right-handed, then, you know, go eat sand because no one's going to follow it. I think so. I think that's just called the market and people, I would actually caution against this kind of standards body because I think it kind of chokes off innovation. And it's what Patrick was alluding to in like the EU as, as someone who has never lived in the EU, who is now living in the EU, like there, it's nice having some kind of regulatory oversight and, and safety measures, but at the same time, it does feel a little bit nanny statish um, uh, at times, like what's going on. And we have a good example for such a body, actually, um, or multiple of these bodies already on Cardano. Uh, one of them is the DeFi Alliance, and the other one is the NFT Roundtable, and um, or NFT Guild Roundtable, I think it's called. So basically, both of these were funded by Project Catalyst, and I'm only participating in the NFT Guild. But it's very interesting because you go in there, and then you have a meeting like for an hour every week, and nothing really happens inside that meeting because mostly people come in and they haven't read all the CIPs which are necessary or they don't fully understand. And then, you know, everyone is trying to get their point across, but it's not really where the work is being done. But instead, the work is always being done, you know, by a single person or a few people that take some time off and just focus and write a CIP and write the text and, and consider everything and really think about the problem and then propose it to them. And that's why I actually like the normal CIP process that we have. Like you write the CIP, publish it in there, people comment under it and have all their concerns. And then you have everything in a written format and you can react to those, those comments in a, in a non, you know, uh, what do you call it? Non-life way. And then uh, can update the CIP or not update the CIP if you want to. So I kind of like that format and I don't think we need to have like a specific standards body, but I think we all just need to be way more involved with the normal CIP process. Yeah, I I was going to push back on my own question about um, a standards (laughs) body because I know that obviously um, that is a common thing in other areas and other industries. And I, I was going to, I guess, make the case for, well, you know, obviously decentralization is a, a, a key word in, in our um, ecosystem. And so this idea of some centralized body that is making decisions on behalf of the rest of the ecosystem kind of goes against the grain for a lot of people. So um, I, I think what both of you have said is, is actually um, a good approach, obviously following a CIP process where people can choose to 
contribute and, um, you know, it gets iterated over time. And as Alex said, you know, ultimately the market will decide, you know, mm. the, the, the strongest standard will win out in the end. Yeah, exactly. Well, one thing I want to introduce, there's probably a couple of um, topics I want to introduce before we end the convo. One is around use cases and the other is around art versus design. Uh, maybe we can end on art versus design. Um, but when we talk about use cases, you can't really talk about um, use cases without talking about value, what's valuable. And I think value is often a, a term that is people throw out, but that often isn't really clearly defined. So before we dive into the use cases, potential use cases, does anyone have an idea around value and how they define what value is. I love this. Um, I, 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 my first company out of grad school, I was working for, I don't know if any of you know, the Koch brothers, they're like these like right wing crazy dudes in the U S I didn't know the company was like a family owned private company, but it was being bought out by them. And they're like these, like, you know, really right wing people, but they had this in this, their training, something that I really liked was they called it the cost price value triangle. And they, mm. so you, you have a tr draw a triangle and then along the, you have an apex at the top and then you have this base at the bottom. The cost was on the left, the price was somewhere in the middle and the value was on the right. And th their point was cost is, you know, like the input material and time, mm. the kind of financial thing that it costs to produce something. Price is the level at which a transaction actually happens between a consumer and a producer. And value is the perceived, you know, um, use you get out of the thing. And their point was, and I totally agree with this, even though I don't agree with them on much, is that for a transaction to happen, they're always like price should always be in the middle of cost and value to have a long-term sustainable business, right? And people often use all these words interchangeably: cost, price, and value. And that what was really nice about that to me is, you know, these are actually quite different concepts. They're related, but if you think about it, they really don't have any, they're related, but they don't have much to do with each other. Right. Mm. And so the their point was like, when I pay a hundred dollars for some, you know, tech gizmo, I'm perceiving that the value of this good is more than the hundred dollars I'm paying for it. Like I will get more out of it than the use of this hundred dollars would otherwise give me. Right. Uh, because otherwise I wouldn't buy it. I would apply that hundred dollars to buying something else. And so value is my, my point as it relates to art or, 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 or anything really is that you, you kind of apply capital, which you have in your possession to solve problems that you have, you know, and you pay certain prices for things, the lower a price is on something like ADA or whatever. And the, the more fixed its value is the better kind of value to price ratio you perceive something to be and that provides you know some kind of incentive to to purchase one asset or utility versus another could based on that logic then could you have something that's valuable that doesn't have a price tag uh, lots of lots of things are are valuable without price tags love yeah. and respect and you know blah, blah. you can't you can't buy a lot of things um, and, and a, a, chi a child's a child's drawing has yeah. a lot of value to a parent, but mm. probably very little value, or certainly you couldn't put a price on it for you know ninety nine point nine percent of the population of the world. So, mm -hmm. yeah, for for me, let me just quickly like for me how I describe it as an incomplete definition, but 
just to kind of simplify it so I can make sense of things when I kind of just move through the day. For me, I define value. Something is valuable if it moves you closer to your goals and everyone's goals are different. And the more it moves you towards the goals, the more value that you attribute to it. And probably the more, uh, you know, you'll be willing to, to, to pay to it to achieve that thing. And then obviously goals are different. We have our goals in a hierarchy. So the goals that we care most about, if something gets us closer to the goals that we really care about, that has more value. Is and, are and there any gaps the in that? And the intersection is demand and supply or supply and demand, right? If the more common a goal is, you know, that, that means more there's more supply. aggregate demand, more, more demand side, right? Like oh, demand if side, we sorry, all sorry, need sorry, demand. electricity to base, you know, to wipe our asses or whatever, you know, you like, those are things that have some kind of base load demand built in and there, you can kind of map it to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? You know, like shelter, food, you know, or water, food. Survival and then, at the bottom, moving your way up. And then, you know, and if, NFT is at the top, right? Like it's it's like, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, people write this stuff off. All you need for a crazy amount of money to to transpire is for two people at the top of the pyramid to want something more than the other one does, right? Like prices are not determined at the aggregate level; they're determined at the margin, right? So, so you know. Um, Again, like if if there's two people on the earth that think Beeple are Beeple is a very valuable artist, they can bid up something to sixty nine million dollars, right? Because they everyone else thinks they're stupid and this is meaningless. But if two people with capital believe something has value and they they want it more than the other person does, that that will cause this kind of really you know to you and I kind of absurd type thing to happen. Mm. So, so this this is kind of um, a conversation that has recently sparked within our own empower community. Um, this notion of, of value, obviously, in the context of NFTs, and, and this was actually a conversation that we intended to, uh, I guess, spark because it's actually fun, a fundamental um, part of our concept is to try and find ways of adding different types of value into our, into our NFTs. I mean, obviously, we know that the, the general concept of um, Empower is to provide funding to affordable housing in Africa, okay? Now, obviously, the biggest challenge is, you know, the, the cost of capital at the moment for most African countries is just way too expensive. So the Empower idea is to say, well, how can we actually drive down the financial return that somebody could demand? Um, uh, obviously, which is mainly related to risk associated with um, those economies. And so the idea is, is, well, let's try and put other forms of value into the NFT other than just a, a financial return. And so that's what we're experimenting with. That's what we're trying to get people to get passionate about and have conversations about and say, well, you know, tell us what you value, why you value it or why you don't value it. So It's a tricky problem because I think... Um... Like you almost have a Boolean or statement of like people who are seeking high IRRs, like internal rate of returns versus people who value art. Like these are almost two distinct sets of people. Right. And so the I don't know. You have to be very careful with what kind of flavors you add into the mix. 
because if you have two things that are too disparate, like it doesn't add value to mix these two things together. Right. Like the tomato set of sauce pe- on ice cream, you know, you yeah. can't mix them together. <laughs> right. Uh, pineapple flavored pizza or whatever kind of thing. Ooh, we want to make it Cardano, We right? won't like, go there. Yeah, we won't uh, go just, there. Just, 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 just out of us four, yeah. hands up if you're pineapple, hands down if you're no pineapple. Three, two, one. <laughs> okay, back hey, to basically a, a, age before beauty. Yeah, I feel like young whippersnappers, yeah. you know, yeah. essentially, when you've gone through enough of life, you just need something to like give you a shock and get you out of bed in the morning, right? And so, that pineapple on the pizza is like, uh, now, now like I a know where the, where the internal dislike is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. It also means you're more interesting in bed, so. Uh, bit of a tangent look i mean but look i mean we've got two architects one pineapple one not pineapple two computer scientists one pineapple one not pineapple so just goes to show yeah shows that there's genius and idiocy in all fields (laughs) 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 obviously uh we probably have different opinions on the science Um, yeah, no, but, but I mean, but, I guess coming back to your point around, you know, how you mix value um, and whether uh, it detracts too much from a different type of person. If you, and, and that's exactly the point. It's, it's, and, and we've said right from the very start, we will be experimenting. It's about trying to do different flavor com- combinations to find the right balance so that we can actually attract the majority of people. Mm-hmm. Um it's interesting because there, in in some cases, and I think what you want to, I'll give an example. My my ex-wife is Japanese and she spoke English and she had a graduate degree in urban planning and we were going to school in Michigan. She got a job in Michigan purely based on there aren't many people who speak Japanese and English. There's a lot of people who speak Japanese. There's a lot of people who speak English, but there's not a set of people who do both. And what I told her after, so she got a pretty high paying job uh, at an automotive company being a kind of liaison, not a translator, but like more like other stuff. So my observation and kind of takeaway, she should learn German because there's probably even less people who are in this industry of, you know, automotive thing who can reduce the number of hops between languages um, to be a single kind of node of, of translation. And you don't have this kind of telephone game type thing happening. Um, So I think that's the kind of trick is how can you find these things that you want, like the union set where you're creating some kind of scarcity and value by, yes, there's lots of Japanese people. Yes, there's lots of English speakers, but there's not a, you know, when you put these two things on top of each other, you're creating something scarce that, that people are seeking out. And so, you know, when you have two things that are too disparate, that don't have a lot of that kind of union Venn diagram kind of middle ground um, that people actually want, you tend to like dilute value because essentially what's happening is you have a cost to include art in your NFT and you have a cost to include this kind of economic utility, but the market is only willing to pay for one or the other service that is encapsulated in that NFT. They either want the art and they're going to you know, pay you a discounted price on the, the IRR or they want the IRR and they don't care about the art and they don't want to pay for the art. So sometimes by combining two separate value propositions, you're actually destroying value. And that's why a lot of companies end up spinning out um, products or services because there's just no kind of synergy. Mm. Yeah, I think this is an interesting... Um... 
part of the the process for us because this is where we're starting to kind of experiment with that packaging. And um, as we kind of talked about before, if we attribute value to your goals somehow, everyone's got different goals. Um, I think one common one that is often shared is the the kind of the financial side of things. Uh, Another one that people value more and more trending upward is the kind of the impact side of things. The art, the the integration of the art becomes a bit more um, harder to to package that because art in itself is very very subjective. Um, and I, I think I was on a Twitter Spaces a few uh, maybe a month ago. We're talking about you know what is art and, and all of that kind of stuff, and it got a bit heated and whatnot. Could, here, here's an idea. Maybe like a, do you know what a digital twin is? This is like a kind of trendy thing in IOT and industry, but like, what if you had like a metaverse representation of the project you were financing that could be used in a quote metaverse, right? So one, you know, like I'm, I'm anyways interested in real estate because I'm investing in your platform. Right. Uh, and I'm not getting some metaverse land or whatever, but I, if I, if there's like some kind of facsimile or representation of the project which is being financed, I have an incentive to provide financing and not just get, um, you know, the IRR, but I'm also getting like a semi-tangible virtual, mm-hmm. you know, real estate building that I can plop onto my Clayverse or whatever, you know, metaverse thing you want to play. Yeah, like that's, that's where there might be some... I think I think you you you've hit a point there um, with regards to um, you know obviously we've been focusing on art as the alternate value proposition but I think there's a massive spectrum of 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 different types of value that we can introduce um, so and I think you know you 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 say that they're kind of at one end or the other um, which is probably true for art being almost like the extreme opposite of, of finance. Um, so it's about finding, you know, a happy medium between that. So it might not be an, a piece of art that accompanies this NFT to give mm-hmm. it extra value. But I think also um, we also have to think from a psychological perspective, you know, what are people, why do they want that? Uh, you know, why do they want that return? They want it to be able to make more money to then go and buy some other form of value. So if we can give them that other form of value they were going to go and buy with the, the the return anyway, then hopefully that allows us to bring that um, interest rate down. Um, so, yeah, but uh, obviously um, partnering with other projects and saying, you know, this NFT now has some utility in a, in a metaverse, um, that's an, another form of value, isn't it, utility? So Yeah. Maybe no, one thing. Go ahead. So, so just to kind of the current state of the NFTs at the moment, what would you say are the common value propositions? So we have, um, you know, these these profile pictures, which are the epitome of art. So we have artistic value. I'm joking. I'm, joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not a hater on, on profile pictures. I've got my, if I turn my video off, you'll see my claymates, which I love. Um, it, yeah. That's a separate topic. So we have we have kind of like artistic value. We have <laughs> don't judge me. I can see the judgment in your eyes. Uh, you have collectible value. You have NFTs that have utility value, where it kind of acts as a key that unlocks X, Y, and Z. Um, 
what are some other current value propositions that you you are seeing in the space? Or is that all of them kind of like utilities come on art? Like all of them are so broad that yes, they're all of them. If it's not them, utility yeah. and it's not art. I mean, they're all p promising IRR. They're all speculative, you know, like build a roadmap as we go and hope that we arrive on something that causes people to FOMO in. I don't think there's a lot of vision in the space right now other than, oh, that worked for them. Let's let's throw that on our roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's like the space is really wanting for some actual kind of creativity or problem solving um, because it's like the joke was uh, Patrick is a big Starcraft player. Like there's a met NFT meta, right? Like Protoss wins, you know, like construct additional pylons or something like this, like the Zerg rush that it's like do a mutant serum, do a metaverse, do a, yeah. you know, a land sale. And like, that's like how you, how you like, you take your generic PFP project into, um, you know, uh, uh, some kind of thing. But I, I think I would say regardless of any one evaluation of what Empower is doing, there needs to be more people like Empower who are just trying things in the NFT space that aren't very clearly... Um, it, it, the, the, the advantage of a decentralized system is that you have so much more iteration mm. cycles because you have different teams trying different strategies in different places in different ways. And so like, uh, if, if life or the universe is kind of like a search algorithm, right, all these different entities doing different things is very valuable. And, and so I'm, I'm heartened to just see that people are trying different things, regardless of whether or not it succeeds, people have to try these things. I think that's a big takeaway, trying things. I mean, yep. that's the only way that you are going to learn Trying things. new and different things, new right? And different like things. if something yeah. works and it works and let them do that. Right. But, um, the, there's the so, famous Edison quote, like I, I didn't, he, he failed 10,000 times discovering light bulbs, inventing light bulbs, right? Like before he invented the last one, it's like, I discovered 9,999 ways that didn't work. Right. Like that's, that's actually what most R and D is. Mm. So, um, Patrick of the, of the projects that have come through Endmaker. You know, are there any that you would say stand out from a, I guess, a uniqueness, I guess, from a utility perspective that you can think of? Yeah. There are many. Awesome. Um, utility perspective, definitely not the unsigs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, so, so I think there are two different types of projects that we see and, and, you know, Endmaker is behind of a lot of these projects also in a more uh, integrated way. Like we, we have this agency part, which um, helped a lot of the projects go out. And, and I was always pushing for the exact same thing that Alex just said, like trying new things out. And I think there are some amazing projects out there who are, who are really trying things out. Um, you know, my, my favorite example of a generic PFP project, but that's actually building stuff and trying to build something around that is, is always the Ada Ninjas. Um, but we have a lot of, you know, I don't know, smaller, smaller projects that have tried tickets, ticketing stuff that have tried many, many other things, um, you know, also in power, of course. I can't think of much much more at the moment, but there there are quite a few of those. But the the one thing that I see time and time again is, if you try things out which are new, 
in 99% of the cases, they are just not as successful. It's, it's hard because the people are used to that. They want to have profile picture projects at the moment. And you need to, if you, if you try something different from that, you really need to nail it and reach an, a target audience, which is outside the NFT scene at the moment. Like I, I personally think probably the biggest project for NFTs in general, not only for, for Cardano, uh, for mass adoption was um, the NBA Top Shots project project because that really brought people in that have never interacted with nfts before just because they wanted to actually use that and collect their stuff and it wasn't it wasn't like super super innovative in a way but it was trying or it was at least targeting a completely different audience than the audience that already existed and and that's kind of kind of what i'm what i'm trying to push the projects towards i think that's that's so valuable like and it's it's kind of how Unsig succeeded, you know, because yeah, Unsig was the exact same, right? We, we targeted yeah. a completely different audience than the existing audience. So, so many people who bought Unsigs were like, I didn't, I don't like NFTs, but I like this, yeah. right? And so, um, if you if you're just trying to carve up this existing piece of the pie, especially in this bear market like we're in now, like people's wallets are tired and exhausted and depleted. Like you cannot appeal in this market to like an NFT buyer. You have to appeal to actually like I'd say NFT skeptics because those are the people who still have mon- dry powder to deploy at something, right? Like the NFT degens are all down bad and, you know, like uh, <laughs> uh, having trouble paying rent kind of thing. And so it, it, it's just like you want a bigger tent. You want to you want to have use cases for things that weren't weren't making sense because when when I when we launched, like there was like I don't know six thousand people in the CNFTIO Discord, um, and they were like a lot of people didn't like Unsigs in that Discord because like why are you hating on JPEGs? Like these are our thing, right? And like they they took it as an insult that I I said this stuff, and so and also that there was thirty one thousand of them when there were only six thousand people in a Discord, right? But in the end, it was different and differentiated enough from the existing offerings that it spoke to a different set of people. And so, you know, I think it's really silly to keep chasing the same people who have already been spending it. I'll give you an example in the architect. When I was an architecture uh, student, there was like a architecture business course and they talked about, you know, like how do you position your firm? You have these like star architects, right? Like Zaha Hadid or whoever, right? Who are like, uh, very high end, super, uh, you know, rich, exotic kind of thing. Then you have like these kind of like B tier people who are like doing like good enough, not offensive things like Genslers or, you know, like these like, uh, like more corporate architecture things. And then you have like the like cookie cutter drab thing. And what they talked about is like, there's only a few people at this high echelon there's a good chunk of people at this B tier and there's masses of people in the C tier. Right. And that's kind of how like Pareto plays out. Right. But their point was like the, the highest echelons, you know, they charged a lot more because like their risk reward was so much higher mm-hmm. and like discovering and establishing a name for themselves that, you know, said like, I'm different and I'm offering this thing. They, they were like selling originality. And by definition, even if, the, the, the B tier offices were good at copying their style superficially. They didn't, those B tiers didn't know how to innovate and how to deliver something new and fresh. They could look at something else and reverse engineer it and supply a facsimile of it at a lower cost because they didn't have to 
develop it in-house. They could just look at that and say, yeah, I want some of that. Right. And then the C was just like bargain based. It's totally yeah. different, like almost irrelevant. Uh, but the vast majority of the market was that. So if you're doing something like Empower or, or NFTs, like what Patrick was saying, there's very few people who actually innovate and make new things. Right. And those those projects like will make a lot of money for their creators. But most people can't do that project. Most people can only look at other people's success and say, I can do a, a slightly cheaper version of that. Um, and that's what the, the, the vast majority of the market is. And that's just how life is. Interesting. And, and the, the um, I guess the, the copycats, you know, are still getting some relative success because obviously there was still a lot of people that missed out. And if there's a, a chance that this copy could still give me some anywhere close to the same returns that the original did, then it's worth the chance, I think, for a lot of people, um, which, you know, is an unfortunate, uh, I guess, psychological effect of, <laughs> of the space that we're in. Um, and, I, and I agree. I think you're kind of either unique in the sense that it's something that's not been done before or, as Patrick said, you know, I mean, you know, NBA Top Shots is – it's unique in a sense, but it's also not. It's a it's a a culturally popular thing that already exists. It just didn't exist on the blockchain. So you know, if you can take something that's already culturally popular and and, and make an NFT out of it in some innovative way, then yeah, um, I mean, the yeah, audience you, of people win. who like the NBA is huge. It's a it's exactly. a worldwide yeah. brand, right? Like, yeah. and, and you're yeah. just like you're offering jerseys. It's new merch, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is new yeah. merch. So maybe on that one because. When you're talking about pies, um, my ears kind of perked up a bit. Uh, but like finding our unique piece of the pie, how do we find our unique niche as a kind of a, a builder within the NFT space? In terms of like that was talking within the, the current pie of the Cardano ecosystem. But if we're looking at, at other pies, the bigger pies outside of Cardano, what would some of those use cases be that would bring in people from outside the ecosystem? And like, for example, the NBA Top Shots, you know, a lot of those people that bought those NFTs probably didn't care less about blockchain. I think, I think they were they re- like re- LeBron James. So REIT, what, what, how do you pronounce that? REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust yeah. or something like that, right? Like, how do you provide a, you know, um, you're basically providing access to a new market right you would your 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 argument is that developing worlds have lower you know market returns we've solved the problem so that now your capital can flow to a higher return you know where 20 to 40% rate is the mark, mortgage rate right and we've solved this kind of risk problem or whatever by however you've done that right but but to me like the market of real estate investors is a lot larger than the market of like trinket collectors Right. And so I, I would <laughs> almost focus, you know, and, and you can you can make some generic kind of guesses about people who like real estate investment or REITs. They generally have an interest in real estate. They believe that, you know, they're not making any more land uh, kind of thing and they want to have a portfolio. But generally, an REIT investor is not looking for the hassle of dealing with tenants, right? Most people like real estate because it's real, but they don't like real estate because you have to like deal with defaults and um, all this other kind of stuff. So they go into the asset class of real estate seeking something that has real utility, um, but is not as high maintenance as being a landlord or a 
um, you know, uh, the, the owner of a building directly. And so if you can figure out how to allow their capital to flow in, like I, 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 I'm a little bit skeptical that those people care at all about the art side of the thing. And so I would, I would focus more on solving their problems and doing it in like a, you could almost say like how Jed has this, like, I'm not, I don't totally understand Jed, but like there's people who have less risk and people who have more risk in the Jed stablecoin you know, economy. So if you kind of bifurcated your NFTs into like tranches of default payment class, you know, you can have a higher IRR, but you're first of the line to be liquidated if the mortgages aren't coming in. And then you have more secured, you know, AAA kind of tranche, which is like, um, you know, if you've seen the big short kind of thing, like these people will continue to be paid even if um, other things are like, like that's kind of, I think the typical real estate investor is looking for levels of abstraction and guaranteedness of payment because real estate is generally, you know, like one of the more secure asset classes. And you have this weird dichotomy that crypto is like super volatile and maybe not, um, you know, a typical kind of thing that real estate investors go to. Maybe one thing. Um, so obviously, like speaking of NFTs and also crypto in general, it's, I don't know if I'm noticing this more online just because, you know, Empower, we're working with real world stuff, but I swear I'm hearing more online people talking about real world application within the blockchain space. Do you think that could, that is like, a, I don't like saying kind of trends or narratives because people say that all the time, but could that be, um, like, is that something that you guys are noticing more? Or is that just me? This this kind of like, because often the, the crypto use cases are just kind of within this crypto silo. And then so you're some asking, people are... is real fi trending? Is is real is real fi trending as a as a hashtag? Is that is that your question? Real, real fi, like so so blockchain with kind of real world linkages. Hmm. Patrick, you go first. I, I I think it is. Um, to me, it's very clear because the like the workload hasn't slowed down for me in in the bear market. Right, um, I'm still talking to tons of companies and stuff. But now people are really thinking about what they can actually build, which makes sense, which is sustainable businesses, sustainable products, long-term products, and, and how NFTs can fit into them instead of just saying, okay, I want to launch the next, uh, I don't know, 10K collection to, to jump on the hype, hype wagon and make a quick buck. Um, and that's great. Uh, but it's also very painful because it just takes a long time. Every single every single project takes a long time. If you talk to real estate investors, or not investors, but real estate companies, and so on, it, it all it's all very slow. And if to build something real, you just need time. And that's kind of the Cardano approach as well, right? Um, so I I do enjoy that, but um, yeah. No. I think it's part of a larger zeitgeist of like COVID and people have been in their houses doing these stupid Zoom calls for a couple of years. So even though Unsigs is like a on-chain NFT project, I've said that for me, 2022 is about bringing the on-chain off-chain. Um, and by that, I mean like into IRL, you know, um, and so I'm, I'm meeting with like art people in Lisbon trying to kind of advance and connect with like traditional art institutions you know so it won't in, be so it won't be pokemon go then you're not doing yeah no i mean it's just it's, it's just like 
Yeah, I, I think we're all tired of this, right? Like yeah. we were talking, I think, before the recording started, uh, like, I don't know that pa Patrick is tall and that Blaine is a fucking colossus. <laughs> and, uh, <you> know, <laughs> this kind of thing, right? Like, I, as an architect, we we believe in the power of physical space, right? Um, and the, like, space matters and uh, physical presence matters. And so I do think that people are getting tired of these like simulacro or this kind of like online only existence right um it, it's kind of peak saturation and so i i would see more of this mm. irl stuff happening i mean there's like what's the newton's first law like every action has a reaction like there's been so much action within the on-chain space where like naturally there's probably going to be this 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 response of the opposite and I think we're probably starting to see a bit of that at the moment. Um, I need to I need to say something completely off topic. Um, but I've been watching Alex headphones for the last fifteen minutes, and I'm just like those headphones. Either he's really tiny, more more tiny than I thought, <laughs> or they're gigantic. <laughs> that, that's a good point. We can't hear you. You muted yourself. They are gigantic headphones. Here's a, a normal, like, I don't know, six and a half inch phone for reference. And, uh, oh my God. They're, they're, what are, what are they? Sennheiser, I think. Oh, it looks they're like planar magnetic headphones. I, I, this, this is where some of the unsig money went. <laughs> <laughs> um, Send me the link. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Sorry for bringing this uh, off. Topic no, that, that was that was uh, definitely worthy. I didn't. I, I don't know how I didn't notice, but now that you've pointed it out, I can't take. Can't that stop out looking. I can't stop <laughs> looking. You're muted again. <laughs> yeah. Just, just for reference, I have a really big head. My wife makes fun of me all the time. Like it, <laughs> baseball caps do not fit my head because oh my it's God. just stupid. <laughs> So the headphones are actually big, and that was an, an iPad Pro that you held up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I am wary of everyone's time. I don't know how, how, how tight you guys are. You probably have I'm to very bounce tired, it. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so no. let's um, maybe wrap it up. We, I'd love to do another one. Maybe we could do like a monthly like NFT thing. Um, because I, I would suggest um, for you guys all, I don't know if you know, but um, my my understanding is Lisbon is trying to pitch itself as a little bit of like a hub to Africa, you know, being okay. in the southwestern portion. Well, what you no, laughing no, at? He's trying to get us all to come yeah, to his move space to because totally he doesn't want to king. travel. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's 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 very well, you know, if you just think geographically situated to kind of uh, go to the rest of Africa. Uh, time zone wise, it's very convenient and that kind of thing. And uh, my understanding is like, you know, different airports have different strategies for their connections and whatnot. But Lisbon is and also the the Portuguese people, I would just say, are very kind of like cosmopolitan world explorers. Right. So uh, if you are trying to do a kind of Africa centric crypto thing, I think there are a lot worse places in the world to be than Portugal right now. So come to oh, shout out to Bruno, I, one I, of I, our teams based in based in Portugal, but maybe yep. more of us need to move over there. Um, but let's wrap it up because Patrick, you, you need to bounce yes. and let's do another one. So yeah. there's some questions one, I yeah. want to ask, but yeah, maybe another time. So thanks yeah. for everyone for joining. Um, I think we, we covered some pretty interesting topics. So to be continued. Yeah.
Thanks, everyone. Awesome, Thanks, everybody. And Patrick and Phil, nice to meet you. Nice to catch up with both the other two of you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Yeah, thank you.